On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Fish's 13th star. Welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends, Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory, as I sit in this cavernous room (laughs) and we talk about Fish's 13th star. Oh my god, I wish Tom was here so he could just razz you all night long about your audio problems. The, the only thing you could do to make this beyond his standards is to sit right next to a refrigerator. Or under the air conditioning vent, one or the other. <laughs> yes, here we are in this, well here I am in this cavernous room echoing around without my earbuds and everything else. But we will struggle through for the... Uh, for the purposes of this palaver and um you know my apologies to all of our listeners it may not be up to the audio standards that we have set low these past few years but there are lots of of moving parts going on in my life right now so i'm in a place that just isn't quite set up yet that's the way it is but the palaver must move on and so here we are it's all part of the fun Bingo. You know, sometimes we're on iPads in hotels. It, sometimes we're in cavernous, empty rooms. But as mentioned on the uh, before we got on air, I do have blistering internet speed here, which is very, very cool. Nice. I mean, I'm so, guilty of doing this from the from the car once, and y- you guys were frantically trying to mute me. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hopefully, everyone will be so enthralled with our insights into 13 Star that they won't even notice after just a few moments that I'm very echoey. Well, I'm going to be relying heavily upon the two of you because, uh, to be honest, I'm not even sure I knew 13th Star existed until last week when we, <laughs> when we talked about it. Wow. That's pretty significant. Yeah. So, for all the fish fans out there, thank you. They can start preparing to uh, not like any of my comments that I'm going to make today. And, and but that's interesting, Paul. Thirteenth star, you know, this whole sort of middle section of the fish catalog that even I wasn't necessarily aware of. I knew that Fish had a bunch of albums. I've actually owned Thirteenth Star for some unknown period of time because it's 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 been in my uh, in my library room, but can't say before we started preparing for the fish segment that i i knew any more about this than i did you know rain gods or fellini days or even field of crows i it just wasn't something that i normally listened to i don't even know when or how i purchased it and so you know it's been a bit of a discovery going through this middle part of the catalog which has been really really nice but after the experience of of covering Field of Crows, and I can't decide 
if it's because we just did Field of Crows, but 13th Star feels much, much better for me. Really? And yeah, I, I find I enjoy this album quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I think I'm I think I mentioned on the group group text that it's funny how you know the the expectations that are set from the previous album sometimes impact the way I listen to things after after Rain Gods and Zippos and Fellini Days I was so hyped and uh and Field of Crows just didn't do it for me and it was a kind of a, a huge letdown. So going into this record, I was thinking, eh, you know. And as soon as I started listening to it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is much better. We, we, we've already taken a huge step forward. So I don't know if it's just expectations, but I agree with you, Joe. After uh, Field of Crows, step back in the right direction. The other part to this whole thing is we do not have any sort of remaster with the super duper booklet or special edition for this. And so the overall lore for this album kind of lacking. It was nice to go to the wikis and see that they, in fact, have a decent amount of of information here and so i guess you know at some point we'll get into you know the impact of i'm i'm going to give credit here to uh, steve vances he mm -hmm. he was the guy the the main musical guy on this record and i think he really did a, a great job of you know combining a lot of these elements that fish has been you know trying out and fooling around with and and attracted to and and presenting it in what I think is an extremely balanced way. I, I think for me, when I listen to this, I hear all of those things, but I just, I always go back to the word balanced. I think it, he just was able to, to mix things in the, the right proportion that it really works. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because, you know, albeit, and I, and I rely heavily upon you guys for lyrical input anyway the the music it for me at least the music of this record is so much stronger than the last one and the production sometimes for me it overshadows fish a little bit and his, his role and i think sometimes the production and the music is actually better than the song itself is that possible i mean is that, is that it is possible absolutely well i mean let's let's talk about the music. I said tongue in cheek last time that Fish is the only person who could make Stephen Wilson sound boring. Now, Joe, you ver <laughs> were very quick to defend Stephen Wilson in that he worked with Fish very early in his career. Uh, you said uh, previous to Porcupine Tree. So uh, I believe the order of the songwriting partners is Mickey Simmons, Stephen Wilson, John Wesley, Bruce Watson. And now Steve Vances. Among that list of very talented contributors, it, it, it seems to me that John Wesley stands out for imposing some of his character into the music and, and some very creative riffage there. Very bold tastes coming from John Wesley. And I would say that Steve 
Vansis is subtle, but also more present, certainly in a more John Wesley way. Now, that doesn't mean I adore the album. I mean, the album has, has faults that I will gladly share. But in the progression of songwriters interacting with Fish, this guy, maybe because he's known Fish since 97 and been around him so long, knew how to get some ideas through the filter that other guys maybe would not have found so easy. Yeah, that's interesting. And and I don't know how much of that we'll be able to tease out, but I am curious to to sort of see. Like I said, I uh, up until just last night, I don't know that I was really aware that Steve Vances was the musical guy here. So, and and he's been as you pointed out, Ken, he Steve has been with Fish for a really long time at this point. So there's really nothing that would lead you to believe that he was going to step out in front and and do the things he did. I personally think that this is demonstrably a better album than Field of Crows. Okay, I'll go there. There's one other thing I want to talk about, and can we can do it either before or after the context. I'm totally open, but I, I did want to talk very briefly, maybe, about the cover art. Oh, go for it. There seems to be a couple of different varieties of this cover art. If you look at the wikis, it has the, the starfish with what appears to be perhaps a map or something. I don't know. But the fish logo is is superimposed over the the majority of the starfish and it's it shows up as white. Now if you if you look at the the copy that I have, the fish logo is almost like a clear embossment or something. So it's not really immediately obvious, but very, very cool. But it's in this this cover, which seems to be the cover, and I believe that the Spotify has something akin to this, is actually a little sleeve. Ooh. And when you go inside, you get this, which I just think is absolutely a stunning picture by um, presumably Mark Wilkinson. And there's yep. even something on the, the back cover as well. Wow. So we've got, you know, the, the, the star on the the sail of the ship very very cool so you know it i i don't we've mentioned you know the the cover art a couple of times before but i think this one may very well be my favorite fish packaging i think it's absolutely engaging on any number of levels oh wonderful i'm glad you have that to contribute yeah that's a nice bonus the spotify like the star on like sort of it looks like i think it looks like the map of the world it's a pretty small thumbnail but the fish is a yellow and blue through the orange but that a bonus cover on the jewel case is pretty sweet yeah it's it's surprising to me that they don't leverage off of that more because i think it's really quite striking ken maybe you'll take us through uh the happenings in progressive rock from Field of Crows up to 13 Star. Just a word here. Um, the wikis do show that Fish released a best of Boya base. Is, is that a meal? Is that a dish? Is this a, a, a French stew of some sort? And they throw it all together and they get their Boya base, the best of Fish. 
so that would have been released in 2005, uh, if you're tracking all of Fish in the Wikis. And then 13th Star is two years later, 2007. It's, it, it's a pretty long stretch. Field of Crows was 2004, the best of 2005, 13th Star 2007. So what could Fish or his producers or his fans possibly have been listening to during that long stretch? Kent, before you start, you're correct. Bouillabaisse is a rich, spicy stew or soup made with various kinds of fish. Yes. Spicy. Yes. Yes. There you go. Spicy. And I, I expect to hear that word a lot more in this podcast from now on. Spicy or bouillabaisse? Bouillabaisse. <laughs> you already have a lot of spicy going on, Zotter. We know you. Spicy. Spicy. We got that. So, I don't know. This is This is the... The decade of what flower kings and porcupine tree and yada yada yada. Oh yeah, we talked about the Mars Volta last time. We talked about Spock's beard and chant. Ian Anderson is still active. Iron Maiden, Dance of Death. Right, right, right. We got some Glass Hammer, Merlin Marbles in 2004, which kicked the living shit out of that other Fish album. IQ, Dark Matter. Hey, Dave Bainbridge, The Flower Kings, Asia, Silent Nation. Hey, Mastodon makes it into the prog lists. Neil Morse, going solo. Arena, Spock's Beard, Kino, more Mars Volta, more Porcupine Tree, Magellan, Circa Survive, Dream Theater, Glass Hammer, Opeth. We're getting very heavy here. Echo Lynn, we need, we need to follow our, our Pennsylvania brothers into more Echo Lynn. Oh, man, 2005. Neil Morris, Mars Volta, Roin Stolt. We know the cast of characters. 2006. We've got, uh, oh, Dave Gilmore on an island happening. <laughs> Queensryche in 2006 wanted to capitalize on Mindcrime with Mindcrime 2. Tool, 1,000 Days. Saga, still active. Muse accidentally stumbled on something called Black Holes and Revelations. Iron Maiden, A Matter of Life and Death. Ah, Mastodon, Mars Volta, Spock's Beard, Tiny Fish, the Tiny Fish album in December of 2006. And finally, 2007. Let me see. Oh, Blackfield is Blackfield 2 in 2007. does um, Somewhere Else, Porcupine Tree, Fear of a Black Planet, Rush Snakes and Arrows. Oh, I, I, I like seeing this name. August of 2007, Big Big Train, The Difference Machine. And then Sember rolls around, and what do you know? Fish didn't make the list. He didn't make the proggy list. This was not proggy enough. That is interesting. So, some interesting facts about this when we go into the particulars for this album. As mentioned, it was released in September of 2007, um, released on the Chocolate Frogs record, produced by Callum Malcolm. The, the interesting thing that I'll point out, I do, we don't normally talk about singles when we go over a record, but there, there were two singles released from 13 Star. Now, keep in mind, this came out in September of 2007. Arc of a Curve wasn't released as a single until March of 2008. And Zoe, Zoe 25 was released in October of 2008. It seems like a really long time. but Yeah, it, it does. Although the original release in September of 2007 
was a limited edition via mail order, it didn't actually release to the larger retail outlets until February of 2008. Well, that makes a lot more sense. And that is the same model that Fish followed for Field of Crows, if I recall. I believe so, to similar success, apparently, since (laughs) he did not even make the timeline of progressive rock. That's so funny. Poor Fish. So moving on then, the personnel on this record, Fish obviously on vocals and lyrics, Frank Usher is electric guitars, acoustic guitars, loop guitar, and lap steel. Steve Vances is playing everything under the sun, bass, electric guitars, acoustic guitars, keyboards, upright bass, clavinets, drum loop and programming, and samples. Chris Johnson on electric guitars and acoustic guitars, Foss Patterson, piano, keyboards, organ, strings, music box, dulcimer, accordion, and samples, Gavin Griffiths on drums, Dave Haswell on percussion, and Lorna Bannon on backing vocals. Joe, this is wonderful. When you read in that room, you sound like you're giving us a tour of an art museum. I love how we're just sort of embracing the, uh, the, the minor insanity of the current situation. I, I guess I could have gone back to the uh, to the hotel that, tonight, but again, the blistering speed here got me excited. So, yeah. You know, interesting. So, Steve Vances has been Fish's bass player since, since the Sunsets on Empire tour, which has to be a long time ago at this point. The moral of the story beforehand is, you know, always watch out for the bass player. <laughs> this is this is how they get into bands. Mm-hmm. They they they're like, yeah, I'll play bass. That's mm-hmm. fine, right? And here he is, like you said, Joe. He's doing everything: electric guitars, acoustic guitars, keyboards, upright bass, clavinet, drum loops, and programs and samples. I mean, and there are so many cool sounds and things that he's putting in with these guitars and with his keys that he's doing. Uh, To me, that's the highlight of this album is the way the soundscape sort of every song just kind of swirls around your head and um, presents these songs in sort of a, uh, I'm going to say brilliance because that's, it's just this brilliant mix of deliciousness, but it's not always like in your face, you know, sometimes it's very chill and laid back. And I really dig it. Yeah, I'm just going to barf all over that beautiful comment you just made there. Um, the first two two songs are just dirges in E minor. It's like, really? The one the one note that the bass player should be absolutely exhausted playing and never want to play again opens the album. I don't know why I'm so obsessed with that. And then and then then we get to uh, somewhere down the line. It's like Dark Star, and it's an E dirge, but it's in seven four. Like, that's supposed to take the edge off for me. So, for I, my consistent complaint when Fish is working with anyone, they'll play three chords, they'll play four chords, whatever, and Fish will say, yes, that's wonderful. Do that 40 times. You know, and, and, and it just, it just, ugh, always one time too many for me. And I'll recite some poetry. Sometimes I'll sing it. <laughs> sometimes I'll just speak it. Uh, yeah, I think, Ken, what's interesting, I think, is, is like, I wasn't able to figure it out, but I think I just did because of what you said. So, because for me, I love the production. I love all of the intertwining melodies that happen with the instruments. And I think this production is probably better than what we've heard with Sunsets, with Rain Gods and Zippos, with uh, 
Oh, I love Rain Gods. Um, I do too, but I, I, I just think this production is just a, a, a step above. Yeah. But as much as I, much as I like all of that, and what I'll say is I really like this album overall, but I, nothing really like reaches out and makes me go, Oh, I love this. Right. And I think it may be some of what you, you just talked about with the dirges and the sort of the cons- constant repetition. Repetition. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys are really taking the wind out of my proverbial tails. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> so, so the, the the track listing, as we've already started to talk about, is Circle Line, Square Go, Miles de Besos, Zoe Twenty Five, Arc of the Curve, Manchmal, Open Water, Dark Star, Where in the World, and Thirteen Star. 13 Star is an album by Fish released as a limited edition via mail order in September 2007 and to retail in February 2008. It is his ninth solo studio album since he left Marillion in 1988 and the first since Field of Crows 2004. Released on Fish's own imprint, Chocolate Frog Records. Retail distribution is handled by Snapper Music. So you guys are expressing a certain lack of enthusiasm for... Uh, Ken, certainly for the first two tracks here, and I guess we can get right into it. I, I find I find Circle Line at the very least to be continuing a trend that Fish has now developed of putting these meandering, formless songs first on the record. This is what the third or fourth album in a row he has done this to us, which I just find to be a little bit interesting. I don't know what it is that draws him to that particular approach but when you see it as often as we do you have to assume that it is you know deliberate and just part of what he's doing at this point it does bring us back to some of the industrial stuff that fish has tried before and i believe what was it rain gods was really maybe the the high point of that i'm currently of the opinion that i think vance is is able to incorporate those elements in in a much more palatable way maybe than we saw before you know and when you start out you get that that backwards track in there which is really quite shocking you haven't heard anything like that from fish before and it's like what's all that about you know in in that particular case and and ken i'm not disputing you know some of your other points but i think it's there enough to get your attention but it's not there too long where it you know, starts to drive you bat batshit crazy or anything. It's interesting because for me, that's been part of the charm of like Rain Gods and Zippos and certainly Fellini Days is that little meandering opening track. But the funny part is the circle line is only five minutes and fifty five seconds long. It feels a lot longer than it really is. <laughs> and and it really doesn't go anywhere. You know? The I love all the sounds and the industrial stuff that's coming through, but it just kinda like goes no but nowhere one of the things that i find interesting about the fact that as as you pointed out paul it goes the song goes nowhere (laughs) is is that's what the lyrics are designed to express right true you know this the eddies that we can find ourselves in with our life where we just keep doing the same things and never actually progress anywhere so it you know, do we do we give Fish and, and, and Vance's enough credit for manifesting a song 
that by its very structure illustrates what the lyric is trying to to uh, illustrate, or do we just say they got lucky? Uh, I give him credit for that. Uh, you're a very charitable man. Yeah, sure. I I, I don't know that that was necessarily uh, lost on me. You know, the first couple times I listened to it, and I, I genuinely like the song. Like I I like how it starts the album. What is funny is that it's almost imperceptible to find, to discover when Circle Line ends and Square Go begins, which is probably why Circle Line feels like it's as long as it is, or longer, because you don't even realize that 10 minutes have gone by and you actually listen to two songs, not one. That's an interesting point. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure because it, one of the, uh, the the notes I have for Circle Line is that the outro guitars are very um, emotive, I call them. And, and it does sort of wind it down and, and connect up to Square Go. So, yeah. Okay, you guys so we, are bringing me around. We haven't touched on, I guess, perhaps the, the general theme that runs through this. And it's, it's stated explicitly in the wikis. Most lyrics with deal with or are at least implicitly in reference to Fish's failed relationship with mostly autumn singer Heather Findlay, who left him in 2007, canceling their scheduled wedding. That's uh, that's that's pretty harsh stuff right there. So think wow. about it. I never realized that he he dated the mostly autumn singer. Why would I? I don't know. But no, we talked about it in, in previous Did we? episode. Maybe yeah. I just maybe I, it was a long time ago. Maybe so. If if you think about the last couple of albums that Fish has put out, right? So Fellini Days was literally as he and his wife were conducting affairs and you know starting, if you will, the dissolution of their marriage. His wife at the time had moved away. He then found an, you know, another girlfriend and I guess um, Field of Crows then deals with, I guess, maybe that breakup and the ending, the actual ending of his marriage. And, and now we fast forward a couple of years and Fish has once again failed to find happiness and he's you know, presumably close to being left at the altar. Having said all of that, and, and again, if we think back to where we, we got on board the fish train, you know, fish at, at the very least is not the super angry young man he was on Fugazi at this point. And, you know, he's able to maybe process some of these emotions a little bit better. But I just wanted to, to point out that that is a theme running through here. Yeah, he writes about breakups a lot differently, perhaps. I mean, it's not a huge departure from his style or at least his subject matter from earlier Merillion albums. I mean, there was some Hobbit shit in there and some other things, but I mean, he basically wrote in a whole album about a breakup. Yeah. It, it, and it is, I think it's good fodder. It, it works well for him, but you just, you know, again, you want him to sort of get to a good part. Yeah. And, okay. and it is, it is sort of the anti-progressive thing, right? Like, you know, progressive rock artists don't really write love songs. Sometimes they do, but not this often. Well, he did not make it onto the uh, Progressive Rock timeline, so there that you go. That could be it. Huh. So the second song is is Square Go. Now, Ken has already taken a big dookie all over this song, 
But this, <laughs> this, this and the, the fact that it's in, in E minor is just totally appropriate. But this is one of the first songs that really grabbed me. And I'm like, ooh, I like Square Go. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> it's super heavy. It's super dirty. And I like it that way. You know, it could have come across a little gimmicky being as 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 dirty as it is. But I, I for me, it really doesn't. Um, I think it's really great. And, you know, Paul, you were making a joke earlier about the, the spoken word portion. And, you know, of course, he has a spoken word portion portion at the end of this. But he he adds on just enough of that accent that it, it really sort of enhances the whole thing. And. You know, maybe it's maybe it's obvious and basic, but I I really dig this song and I turn it up and enjoy myself every time I hear it. Fair enough. It's got it de- definitely has the groove. It's got the you know it's just a, a continuation of Circle Line. Um, I I think it's not a, it's not a bad opening the two the two songs, but I probably tend to fall in the camp of Ken. Do we know what it's about? I'm a soldier in the Forever Wars. No. Photos of a family in my wallet, got no ID, no credit cards. I don't exist. I never have. I never have. Who is this character? Yeah, I was thinking about that because, I again, I have no sort of insight as to what these songs are about. This doesn't, it, it doesn't ring to me like it's, you know, any sort of heartbroken love songy type thing. This, to me, feels oddly like Fish does James Bond. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which it just I say that with with a huge question mark because intellectually that sounds like a really dumb thing to say, but I I, I don't know what else to do with it. So if if it's about something obviously different than that, I will feel bad and silly. But there you go. I don't think this song is about the fish Heather Finlay relationship. I, I would agree with you on that one. I, I, I just, I can't see it in these lyrics. Right, right, right. All right. It does seem to be a bit of fiction or science fiction. Now, the next song, I think, is very much about the fish, Heather Finlay oh, relationship. Oh, talk about the transition out of this song into the next. That, that I will give loads of credit for. Yeah. Um, and, and remind me, is this the music box transition? Yes. 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 So it's interesting. The music box portion is actually part of the end of Square Go. It is not the beginning of Mila's De, De Besos. Right. And but it it is like it was interesting enough that I had to pay attention on my note taking run through yesterday in order to discern when that transition occurs. And and so basically, Square Go winds down with this you know, beautiful little music box thing. And then it goes right into this just gorgeous piano intro. Now, did anyone do the translation of Miles de Besos? Thousands of kisses. Indeed. And I guess we've all been through this, but I, I think this is a very nostalgic, perhaps, review of of the relationship and maybe wistfully talking about the the good parts i just think it's it comes across to me as extremely beautiful i love the way the song is constructed 
with the, like I said, the piano intro. And then once the acoustic guitar comes in and they kind of, you know, weave back and forth throughout the song, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. And then you get, you know, the, the backing vocals adding in some texture. And I, I just think it's extraordinarily well done. Yes. Um, it's interesting. Some of it might be Steve Vances and some of it might be Foss Patterson, depending how you look at it. They both played keyboards on tracks. Weird. It's almost like Steve plays track two, but Foss Patterson plays track three, but you'd swear it's the same guy. Fascinating. But I just, I, I just love the way Square Go ends and Mills de Beso starts. And or, or do you just like the fact that Square Go ends? Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I genuinely like like the transition, and it's fascinating thinking that they they could very well be different keyboardists. Um, there's a much more acoustic kind of feel in Mills de Besos, the way it starts. It seems rare to me that that hyper musical moments permeate the fish got to make the donuts kind of mode. But uh, yeah, th- this is this is one of those moments that I really appreciate. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything that uh, anyone has said. I think it's a beautiful song. It's produced beautifully. Very well done. So let's let's quickly touch on some of these lyrics, though. And, and I'm going to just focus on the, the, the last couple lines here because it, just looking at them, it pains me. Did you think that it meant nothing to me that when you disappeared, I could walk away? Did you know that you broke my heart and left a scar that never fades away? Ouch. Those lines are not delivered with vitriol at all. It's not an anger sort of thing. It's, it's, it's delivered from the perspective I, I feel of someone who has accepted this, but those are still very painful words. Indeed. This man wears his heart on his sleeve on every album somewhere within the album. Zoe 25. And if I look at the wikis, I believe there's some sort of a... Oh, Zoe 25 was originally called Micklegate after the place where Fish had proposed to Heather. So that's kind of painful. I I don't know how that fits in with the story that we have. Now, in the last episode, I went out on a limb, and and I will continue to be out on a limb, and people can think I'm crazy. I'm telling you how I interpret this and take it for what it is. But I made the comment in the last episode that Fish was starting to flirt with channeling a certain late model Barry Manilow. And I think Zoe 25 is where that comes to fruition. Ah. So Barry Manilow, one of the the last original albums that I'm aware that Barry did, and I kind of stopped paying attention after that. He probably had a whole bunch of other stuff, was a wonderful record called Here at the Mayflower. And the concept behind Here at the Mayflower is you have this apartment building in the city and there are all these different people in the different apartments and each one has their story. And I haven't, I haven't listened to it in a really long time. So I'm going to assume that it's 
it's part of the first track that I'm thinking of, but it could be virtually any one of, of the, the tracks on the record. It's not really important. The first track is called, Do You Know Who's Living Next Door? And I, I want to say what really draws me to this, there, there's a certain aspect of the vocal cadence that makes me think of that track. There's a certain aspect of sort of the third person exposition that makes me think of that track when I listen to this. And then when you bring in, again, the rel very prevalent piano with those other two aspects. And, and, and like I said, I haven't listened to here at the Mayflower in, in a really long time, but I really, really remember enjoying that record. And as soon as I started listening to Zoe 25, I immediately went there. There's something about, like I said, Fish's cadence and delivery and and all these other things that just makes me think of it i'm not going to say that it was influenced by or if it was meant you know i'm not saying that i'm just saying there's something about this song that makes me think of that and i don't know what it is well it's it's i know exactly what you're talking about joe and it's a it's a masterful uh storytelling with characters and the way that it's delivered and the words are just just capture these two characters in a way that you can relate to them and you can feel for them and empathize with them instantly. And I didn't even need the lyrics to love the lyrics of this song because they're so clearly stated in the, and so clearly audible and the rhythm that's they're presented is you can hear it. You can hear the story. He's singing a story. Shit. Who hasn't been in this? He struggles to the breakfast table, still hung over, hardly able to come to terms with Monday's new demands to activate the microwave to reheat Friday's takeaway, the cafeteria to muster up some coffee from the grains. He lights the next last cigarette and promises himself as he retches in the sink to change his ways. He dreams inside the sun of Zoe from London 25. Like that shit is magic. It's magic. You are in, like you are just, you, you are in the kitchen at the breakfast table like you you can see the coffee grinds and the cigarette i mean like it's exceptional it's exceptional yeah i think that's an excellent point and that is part of the whole thing with here at the mayflower is that 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 world building that storytelling that is so clearly communicated and and so excellent you know for all of that being said when you talk about the the way that the the verses are constructed i think if they didn't have the backing vocals on the chorus it would be exceptionally flat so i'm so glad that someone said we need something here it's a gorgeous song it's what i would call a, a preview to welchmertz it's the more melodic balladeer style i i never brought barry manilow into the fold but joe you're a brave man it's funny. I, I, I mean, I could have listened to this for the next 20 years, and I don't think I ever would have made that connection. But the fact that you did, Joe, it is so spot on, I think. So spot on. Either that or I'm completely insane, one or the other. No, but, I think, you know. yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's, it's spot on. Hey, incidentally, the songlyrics.com page that um, I'll post in the notes has that insert cover of um 13th star oh on their on their uh website so very cool very cool we we address and paul you did a very fantastic job with the beginning lyrics 
when it, it focuses on the female character, she clutches at the broken heel from tripping down the escalator, chasing her white rabbit through the tunnels far below. Okay, so she's broken a heel on an escalator, she's in the subway or somewhat. She moves around invisible to all concerned anonymous. Okay, wonderful imagery. The white rabbit, though, is this an Alice in Wonderland reference? Is it the chasing her white rabbit through the tunnels far below? That's just like Alice chases the white rabbit to lead off through the looking glass. She's, I don't know, chasing her career or something as if she's chasing a white rabbit. I did kind of focus in on that. I liked I like the second verse actually more than that beginning section. Hmm. I I think I like her character better better than his. <laughs> I think I just don't <laughs> like fish as a person and I don't want the male character. <laughs> Shut up. I don't want to hear about your Chinese takeaway. No, um but <laughs> I, I I I like that second verse a bit better. But uh yeah, good stuff. Which then takes us to Arc of the Curve. Now, this was the first single. I mean, it's a solid song. I don't know that it it moves me as much as some of the others that I've heard. I do love the the lyric Arc of the Curve. I think it's it's very, very catchy. It's very cool. And the chorus hook that goes along with that is is pretty big. It's it's definitely an earworm. It's one of those things where, you know, the third time you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, okay, I'm on board. I think Paul, you described it. I was recently editing the vigil one and you described one of the uh one of the hooks on that record of getting into your head, even though you didn't really like the song so much. I do think there's a there's a point in this song, and tell me if you guys heard it, where it gets really close to a Lady Nina vibe, and then it kind of goes away really quickly. For me, it's there. It's like, ooh, this feels very Lady, Lady Nina-y, and then it just kind of goes away. I do think it's interesting the way that the song is constructed because here again we were talking about the the background vocals and the first the first time through you don't have them and then the second time through you pick them up and you know that little difference is enough to really pick up my ears and vances is proving himself adept on this record and maybe it's going to the well too often i don't know at constructing very interesting and pleasing outros to songs Yes. Yeah. This one for me is this one is a really good example of along with the first three where I think the production and musicality just sort of is better than the actual song. This one may be more so than than the other three, but that just everything I like about it has nothing to do with what Fish is singing or singing about. It's just weird. I, I feel exactly what you're saying, and that's why I, I said, you know, it's it's a solid song, but it, it doesn't move me. Right. I think of chords as real estate or colors or, or there's this tangible element to chord progressions, especially on guitars where the chord always kind of sounds the same. And when musicians invoke these things, the same chords we've been playing since the 50s and the 60s, you have to have respect for what came for you and the sounds and what you're doing. And what I'm trying to say is that the arc of the curve, this this huge, I think it's a, a C, G, D progression that happens 
over and over again. And it's just like, if you're going to go big like that, you got to nail it. And I feel like they came so close. They just didn't quite nail it. I don't know why Fish gets really in the zone and almost, and you're like, yeah, it, it, musically it could be a hit and production wise it could be a hit, but it was just the chorus words aren't chorus words. They're just more verse words that got repeated. I think. (laughs) Ken, that is absolutely brilliant. I love it. (laughs) And I apologize to Mr. You know, Derek Dick himself. I'm so sorry. I just got to tell you how I experience this of a listener. It's, there's a bit of frustration there. Now, I'm, I'm a little disappointed flipping through the lyrics here. When I look at the, the title for Manchmal, and it actually has the translation. Because this is where all my, my recent, recent several years of, of Duolingo study of German was going to come into play. And and now it's all evaporated because he already gives us the answer. Manchmal is the German word for sometimes. And it's interesting. Obviously, when his, his, his first wife left him with his daughter, Tara, I believe, and he left and moved to Berlin. So presumably, his I'm guessing his his daughter speaks some manner of German. I don't know. But when I watched recently the Childhood's End or whatever the, the live version of the, the performance of, of Misplaced Childhood is, he speaks half in German and half in English in between. Um, so apparently he's, you know, he's rather fluent in it. And I think he's lived there for a long time, actually. You think he lived there? I think he lived there. I feel like I feel like when I was reading... Uh, the booklet in Veltschmerz that was talking about how he was living there for some time. Okay. Yeah. Because he, you know, Veltschmerz, German, Manchmal is German. He, he sprinkles in these German words now and again, which seems interesting, but, but there you go. But anyway. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's funny because I just kept hearing Manchmal and I was like, oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. And and now I'm imagining what it would sound like if he would he was just singing sometimes you know and singing the lyrics uh, that might work better for me, but it's kind of funny too because this is the song that's like the it's like it's like cue the nine inch nails snare sound. Um, <laughs> you know what it would I sound like, it, Paul? <laughs> I made it through the rain. <laughs> My self perspective. Sorry. <laughs> oh Jesus. But uh, but yeah, it, ha- it has that nine inch nails sort of angry uh, snare, you know, and 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 tough guitars. Not it doesn't even you know closely approach the same level of sound, but it's got that sort of nine inch nails inspired uh, industrialness to it, which stems from German industrialness. So it's kind of funny that you know he's utilizing the the German words in in this song. I think that's pretty solid. He's no Ramstein, but hey, yeah, go for it. That's right. I need to listen to some Ramstein. If I was developing the North American edition of 13th Star, I'd probably take this one out. Just saying. Because all these songs are like five and six minutes long. The album, the album generally is too long. Probably be a more enjoyable 
with a couple of gaps, a couple of, I vote this one out. See, I actually, I, I, I like this song, but. Well, you're studying German. So anytime you have a chance to flex, you know, I imagine feels good. There were two vocal moments or, or lyric moments on this song that had me buzzing because, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I've, I've listened to this album a fair amount. And so sometimes you have to sort of look for other things or, or something will just sort of perk up. So there were, there were two and I hadn't really paid attention to them before I was sitting down making my notes for this, this record, but there's a line um, where he says the point of grave decision, no turning back this time. No sense of reluctance, no doubt in my mind. It was that grave decision thing that just set off all these alarm bells in my head. And I'm like, what the hell is that making me think of? And it just now dawned on me. It's the point of grave creation that he mentions in Hotel Hobbies. Mm. And nice. I, was, I was like, oh, okay. Because wow. I've always loved that line. It's yeah. just the way he hits it in that song and it's it's that repetition of the point of grave blank that it 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 just set me off but it took me a little bit to sort of piece it together mm, cool the other thing that i and i love it when fish does this and he's he's actually proven to be fairly adept at this over these these last several records and that is making lyrical references to other parts of the album and he does that here in spades in a way that i just i find to be chilling it's time to choose between the open water and your dreams time you faced reality time you faced your fears the open water and your dreams thing open water obviously speaks very directly to the next song open water um, but this idea of choosing between the open water and your dreams and, and having to make that sort of crucial decision, ooh, it just, I don't know, it, it's spooky to me. At risk of being trite, fish and water go together? This is true, yes. Okay. Interesting. I mean, you're turning me on to this album more than I was two hours ago, so this is good. You know, the, what, what is interesting... I mean, really, when you think about open water, dark star, we're on the world. The revelation of the CD, you know, jewel box album cover with the ship on the water and with the storm clouds, you know, all of a sudden change for me changes, you know, that perspective of what he could be talking about. Without the ship motif, maybe open water doesn't mean quite as much. So that takes us into open water. So I've got a couple of notes here. One, the chorus here reminds me of zoo class, but good. You, you know, you get <laughs> <laughs> we really didn't like that song, did we? It, 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 was, it was a little too much of a caricature. I mean, I like the over-the-top organ bit, but it was, it was a little too much. So here... You know, I I think it's a, it's constrained enough that it's not quite so gimmicky for me. I and and this is I think this is a great example of how Vances is able to incorporate some of the local flavor that Fish likes to put into his music, 
but doing it without it becoming again a you know an an over the top sort of thing you can feel it you can taste it you can hear it but it doesn't overwhelm the entire musical palette of the song which i think is really really good and and the other thing that i think this particular track illustrates is you know I, there are a lot of dynamics in this song and i think vances as a as a as a musician is able to to really manage those pretty well or maybe it's the producer i don't know but but someone is able to sort of you know ride the sliders and make this work the groove here and, and this is another e dirge but at least it's 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 a boogie it's got a lot of soul to it i would expect to hear this on a badlands album maybe white snake maybe um like it's it, it's got uh, that it's got that shuffle like like even i can imagine david lee roth singing over it this could be why it's not one of my favorites on the <laughs> track. Well, I, it, I mean, it's basically a a, 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 a Dorian. So the, the the minor key is minor, but the four chord is very bluesy. And then you put in that yeah. shuffle beat, and it gets very bluesy. So it's it it it, it is funny too, because like you know, I love a good Dorian shuffle. Like, <laughs> just not working for me here. It's it's not Scottish, shall we say? It's a little bit out of his element. It's Merkin. Do you, do you want to dive into the the bleakness of the lyrics a little bit here? Absolutely. If you want me, you know exactly where I am. Adrift in open water, I'm gazing at the stars. I'll be gazing at the stars. I went down with all hands in the morning. I was clinging to the wreckage of the dream, praying for a rescue that I knew would never come. I watched your sails disappear into the distance. I saw my life in the currents floating by. I was left to the mercy of the four winds and the tides to carry me to shorelines where the sea and sands collide. Yowzers. (laughs) (laughs) Now, come on. Is this not just a little adolescent, these these lyrics? Am I wrong? I don't know. I think they're kind of spectacular really that's yeah. why i read them uh, maybe i'm just being extra maybe i'm just being critical extra critical well i mean it, of- if you took these same exact lyrics and sang them over tony banks keyboard parts from duke then you could evoke a lot more emotion i i think i think getting this deep in a shuffle is just a hair comical or at least a bit degrading to the lyrics if, if you want to get the most out of this you gotta you gotta go full full on and make it emotional i'm, I'm curious to see where the rest well, of this discussion goes now just gonna t- say you could have taken out this one in manch mall and you could have had a nice tidy 45 minute record i'm with you man you know i would have made all these songs three and a half or four minutes because he does the, just be, between vance's and fish together they come up with some real brilliant stuff and i think where they always shoot themselves in the foot fish album after fish album is is going for that five and a half minute mark just saying all right dark star dark star wins a prize simply because in his lyrics, he invokes croquet balls. <laughs> ah. 
Croquet is a game that I think of very fondly when I was growing up on Peggy Lane with the entire crew of my brothers and my steps all living in the house. Croquet was an important part of, of our family experience. And so whenever I hear any reference to the game of croquet, I uh, get all warm and fuzzy. And that's not necessarily the case with the cover of Genesis's Nursery Crime, since we have invoked Tony ah. Bank recently, because that's just a creepy take on croquet. I thought all croquet was like that. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> So one other thing that I'd like to point out, and we've we've made this comment many times before throughout the palaver, and, and it, it always has to do with songs where the verses will create a delicious musical tension and it will just completely dissipate when you get to the big hook chorus and it just all farts away. I think Dark Star does not do that. I think Dark Star is able, I personally think Dark Star is able to deliver a, a reasonable chorus while maintaining that level of tension and anxiety. And I very much appreciate that. And I think this is a delightful and fun to listen to guitar solo. I think the last three on this record are pretty strong. I like them a lot. Don't love them, but I like them a lot. And I agree with you about the chorus, Joe, because as soon as like he launches into Dark Star, I'm like, ugh, All right, hold on. Oh. But he, he holds it together pretty well, I think. I, I, I think it's the guitars that carry you through. I don't, it I don't is, know yeah. that it's fish. Yeah. And so we're going to close out then with Where in the World. I... I really have a soft spot for this song. I like a lot about it. I think the the lyrics here, again, extremely emotive, if perhaps maybe a little bit obvious. This time last year, I was in love. This time last year, there was a dream. Ouch. Mm. Sorry, dude. You know, presumably, um, you know, this is after he was, you know, left at the altar jilted if you will i think the the drum programming here is a nice touch i think it's done very well i think it it fits in it doesn't seem incongruous with anything oh there's another line here where is it if the sea just keeps on rising will it drown the funeral pyres would it bring us back together do you think we'd see the light where in the world where in the world do we go from here I mean, that level of sort of desperate logic yeah. is is painful to uh to read or hear. And um, but I do think it's I, I find it to be uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Moving compelling is the word I think I'm looking for. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of where in the world. I think it's I think it's one of the better ones. And yeah, I agree. And, and, and then it, it finishes up with 13 Star. And, and quite frankly, I, I don't really have anything written about 13 Star. I, I, I just wrote down that it's delightful, if unremarkable. That pretty much sums up my whole feelings about this whole album, Joe. Delightful, if unremarkable. And, and 13 Star is just that. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's, yeah. It, yeah. It, it is what it is. I, I don't. I don't have anything else to say. This is like, you know, it's like uh, 
a carton of, um, what do you call it? Neapolitan, chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry, right? A little bit of everything. Delightful, yet unremarkable. I'm trying to give the lyrics a chance here. So, so this would be his parting song for Heather. You showed me the way and I will follow to the end of my days. I will follow to show me the way to the 13th star. So at this point, he has turned the corner and he is less remorseful. And maybe he's taking some of her lessons and some of her spirit with him. Is that, is that a good spin? I, I like it. It's, I would it's say little- so. It's a little hopeful at the end, right? Of 13. So there's a little hope here. Yeah. And in a, in a much nicer way than, say, White Feather, right? <laughs> Certainly in a lot less ham fisted way than, say, White <laughs> Feather. It's no mate again, but it's, it's happening. <laughs> well, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like this. I like this. At least it doesn't end like the wall. Could have it could have could have gone ugly. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> we we are really setting the bar high here. <laughs> no, I'm 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 he, he he puts me in a happy place and, and I, 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 I can deal with it. All right. And and that finishes out thirteen star. Gentlemen, we have actually recorded an episode in under 90 minutes actual time because we got started a little bit late with a few technical snafus i'm impressed wow the next episode that is going to come out after this will be peter gabriel's new blood before we get into the last two fish offerings of a feast of consequences and velchmerts and that will that will carry us through then the combination of peter gabriel and fish catalogs and hopefully by the time that is done our good friend tom corcoran will be freed from his professional obligations and we can start what we've all been waiting for which i'm not even going to tease here you know i think we've gotten through uh, you know the the stretch of the fish catalog that quite frankly most of us here on the palaver we're not particularly familiar with and i think we've discovered some very interesting things along the way that i'm very very pleased to have you know gotten into these albums and 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 found these things now again i have not at this point spent a lot of time with a feast of consequences or velchmerts i've listened to a feast of consequences more and but we do know that tom is very very fond of of feast so i'm curious to see where that goes and and how fish finishes up with with velchmerts and quite frankly i have been dying to talk about peter gabriel's new blood since the first time i ever heard it so that will be very fun as well as we sort of look at how peter gabriel goes in and you know is continually reinterpreting his music and you know it's kind of on the edge as to whether you know it fits in with our our model but it's i think it's interesting enough that you know i want to i want to give it a go so nice because tom's love for a feast of consequences i actually bought that one that was one of the first uh, albums that I bought in the super duper, you know, book sized remastered special edition. So, still in the plastic wrap, by the way, but uh, it'll be taken out shortly 
And I, I'm looking forward to diving into that. Awesome. So that's what we have sort of in front of us here, gentlemen. And as always, I thank you for your time here this evening. It was a fun exercise, as it always is. And so next time we'll talk a little bit uh, orchestrated Peter Gabriel, and we'll go on from there. So thanks, guys. Awesome. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver in this cavernous room that I'm in. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We are at Progpala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. sounds like shit it sounds like shit won't sound like shit it'll be like a throwback to our early days i mean you could probably do a car commercial Problem. We'll take anything you've got. That's it. That's Perfect. the voice.